Welcome to Coach's Cradle Podcast. This is Brennan Sweeney. Today's episode features Evan Simon, the Director of Performance for Davidson. He has a great background with a bunch of FBS programs. He comes to us now from an FCS program, and he has a lot of great insight and what it takes to become the best coach for where you're at, and also how he's transformed Davidson into the place to be, not just an FCS football powerhouse. So without further ado, this is Evan Simon from Davidson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, not to waste any more time, I really appreciate you being on, Evan. And uh, looking forward to getting some information from you. Uh, So... First things first, uh, looking at your resume and just your experience from around the country, you had spent some time at Davidson in 2004 to 2006, and then you returned after a long departure. You went out to the West Coast for a while. What made you come back to be the Wildcats director of performance? You know, I think when I was here the first time, you know, it was early on in my career, and I was, you know, where the goals I had at that point in time, you know, or the things I viewed as like that I wanted to say I was successful as a strength coach at that point in time was make it to be, you know, an FBS level strength and conditioning coach, you know, with the football program. And so when I was here the first time, what kind of pulled me away to leave was an opportunity to be the associate director at the university of Utah, where the, the coach that's still their director today, Doug Elisaya, like we worked together at Kentucky and he called me up when he got the director spot there and was kind of like, Hey, I think there's a few coaches on this staff that have legit shots to be head coaches one day. And he knew that was a goal of mine. And so I was very fortunate to go out there and join him and, you know, was there for three seasons, uh, three years, seven months calendar time. And, um, and, you know, his prediction was correct where uh, there was an opportunity to join uh, Gary Anderson, who, be- who was our defensive coordinator at Utah, joined him as the head football coach at Utah State as his director of strength and conditioning and was able to, you know, travel around with him, Utah State, Wisconsin, Oregon State. And then, you know, as we were kind of winding down at Oregon State, you know, where my wife and I were talking, you know, hey, what do we really want? You know, what do we want for our kids? You know, I think it's a good thing to point out to any coach that listens to this, you know, where the goals you have professionally, you know, or the things that you view as like successful markers for your career, those can definitely change and alter over the course of your career. They don't have to stay the same. You know, once you say something or write it down, doesn't mean things can't change or evolve. And so I think where, where, where we were at, we have two girls. I have a, they're now about, you know, this summer they'll, they'll flip to 14 and nine, you know, but at the time, you know, where our youngest has some special needs and trying to find an environment for her where it could be stable and we could be there a while. And plus just my youngest, even though she may not remember all, or my oldest, excuse me, she may not remember all the moves, but where like, you know, where we wanted to kind of settle her into one place and let her grow. My wife and I were very fortunate, you know, to only move once throughout our youth from the time, you know, we were born essentially until college. And so we wanted to try to find an environment like that. And so, and I love coaching. And so we kind of said when the Oregon State opportunity ran its course, we wanted to try to see if we can position ourselves at an FCS level football institution, you know, still a division one program, but have connections and ties more to administration than a sport coach to hopefully help with that longevity in one place and, uh, you know, being in a location that we would enjoy being in. And, 
uh, you know, I always kept in touch with people here at Davidson and the opportunity presented itself to come back. And that's what really led me back here, you know, familiarity with the place, uh, a location that we wanted to live. And uh, also, you know, just really having, you know, where being able to create hopefully some stability for a while for our two girls. Yeah, I think when everyone gets into the SNC realm, their goals are always power five or professional at some point. And then I think once you start to get into the field a little bit more, learn more about the different careers. And then when you get up to your level, what you're looking for is majority just security and job security. Can you speak on the security of the job that you're in currently versus the, I guess, uncertainty of a power five position for football? You know, I mean, I think really the, you know, the, you know, I guess the security of the job I'm in now, and obviously as all of us know in the coaching profession, there's nothing that's guaranteed, Mm -hmm. but I think where, you know, here, you know, where I'm tied to administration. So like, you know, kind of some of the benchmarks I'm asked to, to meet, you know, some of the things that, you know, the, the administration wants me to achieve with our student athlete population, you know, isn't necessarily as cut and dry as some of the things when you report directly to a sport coach, you know? And so I think where, and also like where the structure here within our human resource department, our athletic department and college as a whole, you know, where it's not a situation to where, Oh, like this team didn't have a winning season, you know? Oh, like, you know, this year was a rough year for injuries you know, oh, I'm getting pressure to, to win here as a sport coach, so we're going to force the strength coach out. It's not some of those scenarios that, unfortunately, you know, our peers in our profession can see or run into at other schools. And so it's just, you know, the ability to get removed from your position here really, you know, starts and stops with how you handle yourself, you know, where it's not necessarily what someone else may be thinking of you, you know, as it can come in and play at certain spots and and so, like, to me, I was very fortunate to work for a head coach as long as I did and, and Coach Anderson. And, and I mean, you know, he's still a close friend today and always will be, you know, and I, I value the time I had at the FBS level. I value the time with him, you know, but from a, a family standpoint, peace of mind standpoint, stress standpoint, you know, the what it takes to be removed from Davidson College combined with, like, who I report to directly. It's just uh, it's just a different scenario than what I've experienced in the past. Yeah, I would. I assume that it takes some weight off of your shoulders. I know a bunch of strength coaches that deal with administrative headaches, and when those people in those positions are your friends and you can count on, I'm sure it makes your your job a lot easier when you're reporting and going over your review of the seasons and whatnot. When you were away for the FBS, I'm sure you got a lot of different experiences and got to talk to and meet a bunch of different coaches. How have you changed as a coach from the first time that you got to Davidson compared to now? I mean, I think, you know, some of the like really like noticeable changes is, you know, where I used to sit there and, uh, you know, think like lifting numbers really mattered, you know, like that everything kind of stopped and started with like what your athletes were producing under the bar. When in reality, like my, my greatest shift has probably been, it's all about their performance on the field or court. And so we're obviously, you know, like strength, is a pillar of their performance power output is a pillar of their performance, you know, but it goes so much further than that, you know, like mindset approach, mindfulness, wellness, you know, where mobility, flexibility, you know, where just mental preparation, you know, and just doing things with how you design your training program that you think really kind of carry closer to the specific skill set or tasks over time when your athletes are ready for that, you know, so where I would say at one point in time, I really hung my hat, 
you know, or would stress over, you know, oh man, like we got to design a program that increases this athlete's bench so many pounds or increases their squat so many pounds, you know, but really over the years, I've really honed in on variety in our training programs are key. And that variety is one to not only keep interest, keep things exciting, but more importantly, you know, turn on as much muscle as we can in a variety of ways to sit there and hopefully have more working for the athlete when they step on their field or court of play and then do a variety of things in, you know, the sprinting world, the change of direction world, you know, the metabolic conditioning world to have their bodies physically ready to handle the demand and stress of their sport. And a big thing I bring up now more so than ever you know, everyone always talks about injury reduction, injury prevention, you know, but really having the body prepared to be as resilient and durable as possible to handle the stressors that their sport's going to provide and preparation of their sport provides. So I'd say one big difference is how I look at training now, you know, more so than I did before. I think where, you know, a big thing now that I'm getting older too is just where, you know, the, the importance of just what the importance of, you know, listening to your athletes the importance of understanding and finding compromise. You know, I think sometimes when I was a younger professional, you know, I felt like I had to have all the answers. I felt like I needed to know everything that an athlete was asking. You know, as I've gotten older, I've learned that, you know, where, you know, obviously we never want to stop learning. You know, the minute we stop learning, it affects the athletes we work with. But I think where, you know, it's okay to say, hey, you know what, like, I don't know the answer to this, but let me call a few of my peers and see if I can get something for you. So I think the ability to understand you don't have all the answers and expressing that to your athletes and reaching out to get more help than maybe I did as a younger professional is something that's helped my programming, helped my relationship with athletes as I've gotten older. And then I think just where, you know, seeing things through the eyes of like an aging dad versus like, you know, not having that when I was younger. I think just a lot of those things, I mean, you know, being further into my marriage and pulling from experiences there, I think has been, you know, things that have affected my coaching outlook or, you know, philosophy. But I think where, you know, the biggest thing has been, you know, really trying to gear everything towards their, their performance, not worried about increasing those general type aspects that may or may not have an outcome on the field or court for the athlete. Yeah, I guess I have two questions related to your answer there have your metrics or your kpis changed over the years to shift away from overall strength and power scores into more correlated data that we can see increased performance and then you had talked about turning on more muscles are you shifting more towards frc rpr type warm-ups or mobility based training to uh, ensure that your athletes are staying healthy and that structurally everything's working correctly? Yes, I think we still, we'll still, I mean, from answering, I guess, like from a lifting standpoint first or like what we track, we're like, we still look at, you know, overall like strength levels on numbers, but like where I think, you know, we may go four weeks of, you know, like four weeks of a back squat, right? And have intangibles we can record and monitor whether they're velocity based, whether it's absolute strength based. You know, and then we may flip in the next four weeks or dedicated towards a front squat, right? And then the same thing, like we'll look at the, you know, how we're progressing that number through velocity-based training, but also, you know, absolute load at certain times of the year. So I think, you know, when we rotate our stuff, we're still tracking, but, you know, we're not necessarily, you know, I don't sit there and hang my hat on like, oh man, like an athlete has to power clean this or an athlete has to squat this. And, you know, where I've always kind of looked at things like a, 
like essentially like a line graph and that line graph is broken into three sections to where like your exercises fall and that's a general category where there's not any connection to the specificity of the sport a general specific category where one or more things that are present the way they're present in the sport are present in your training and then the specificity of training you know which is really the preparation of the sport itself so i would say you know where we've tried to expose more general and general specific categories and movements as we can and then monitor them and track certain movements in those categories just to show progress as we repeat them over time to keep the athlete motivated and you know keep the coach happy and also make sure we're doing what we need to but most of our our stuff is either absolute readings or velocity based currently and then where you know to the what was the second part of that question again are you using any modalities like rpr or frc to increase the uh, durability or the effectiveness of the athletes muscles or nervous systems so we utilize uh, you know some rpr drills you know different wake up drills and techniques of that you know that type of you know pattern there for neuromuscular activation we also utilize some components of like you know functional range conditioning around the hips and the shoulders and the ankle you know so we build those things in into our warm-up we build them into our workout a little bit you know and where you know but we i would say we expose them in like small doses versus like large doses within each session just to where like to help with our athletes focus and like keeping them on track but you know whether it's various you know mobility regenerative techniques recovery techniques you know rpr you know frc stuff you know it's exposed in small doses but consistent doses you know to be able to sit there and see improvement over time as well as with like the exercises we pick picking a variety of different movements so you get obviously loaded range of motion you know as well which is very very important introducing different movement patterns under load to let the joint angle as the body know that it's okay to move in those ranges of motion and feel stress yeah absolutely you talked about rotating your example is different squat patterns do you think the rotating of different patterns can contribute to resiliency of those athletes and injury, not, I wouldn't say injury prevention, but like you had said, the resiliency during, during play. I think it definitely can just because where, you know, different movements require different muscle activation, you know, just because, you know, you're squatting doesn't mean you're turning on every muscle fiber of your quadricep or hamstring, you know, so different variations of multi-joint movements, you know, isolation movements over time to sit there and turn on more areas of, of muscle tissue for the body and then staying consistent with movement patterns and things that are closer to that specificity of movement to the sport. I think those flow well together to sit there and help make the body more durable and more resilient. You know, like we're kind of like the old saying, the best ability is availability. And so one to where I think, you know, the more variety we apply to their training, you know, the more they can stay fresh, you know, adapt to different things and put them in a position for that durability, resiliency focus. Yeah. And we're talking about RPR and even a football coach saying that they don't have to back squat year round can be considered kind of a, a new way of thinking when it comes to continuing to educate, educate yourself and getting better. What are some things that you've learned in the past couple of years that you think have shifted the, the game of football strength conditioning specifically? I mean, I would say, you know, the things that I've started applying more and looking into more, none of them are like earth shattering. None of them are 
rocket science based, but I would say, you know, using velocity based training more this year to regulate our nervous system stress, utilizing unilateral movements more, you know, to sit there and not only correct imbalances, but you know, have the body better prepared to handle some of the stressors, the way they receive them quickly on the field or court of play, you know, looking more into mindfulness type techniques, you know, obviously utilizing RPR, you know, to sit there and help regulate the body and, you know, and turn on, you know, the neuromuscular system and finding ways to use that, that your population will accept it and utilize it well, you know, I think has been continued things and just really continuing to hone the, you know, the psychology piece of what we all do professionally and how to communicate with athletes, read an athlete, you know, and, and really try to grow what I feel our profession is rooted in, which is, you know, personal communication and interaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge part of it that needs to get focused on more. What are some of your favorite resources when it comes to the psychological aspect of strength and conditioning? You know, really from a resource standpoint, a lot of it is where uh, Chris Borland, who is a former athlete that I had the opportunity to work with at the University of Wisconsin, where he's very involved in mindfulness, wellness training. And so really a lot of different articles and, and just, you know, podcasts that he's referred me to, you know, where information that he's passed on goes a long way in that, you know, a lot of it, you know, is more just like, you know, learning how to continue to read and understand people and, and be observant, you know, so where there's not necessarily one main like go-to resource, you know, or particular book that I would say like that's led me in that direction. But I think there's a continued like honing of like that personal skill set combined of like being led in certain directions, whether it be through, you know, the information behind RPR. I'm very close with J.L. Holdsworth, one of the co-founders of that. And then also we're just, like I said, you know, using the resources that Chris Borland has been generous enough to pass on and provide. Yeah, absolutely. Is, do you think there's a common misconception that we see about division one athletes that you've tried to hone in on more? Uh, just in my own experience, when I got to a and I was just surprised that these are extremely high level division one athletes, but they're just dudes at the end of the day. I, I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was just like, wow, these guys are really just like a normal college student. Is there anything that you could say on that that could relay better information to more coaches? I mean, I think the big, the, you know, anywhere I've worked, I've always referred to our athletes when we're talking about them in a staff meeting, you know, as, as kids. And I would say I picked that up from uh, Coach Anderson. I picked that up, you know, from the staff at Utah while I was there, you know, where because they are, I mean, they're young adults, right, but they're really kids. They're 18 for the most part to 22 years of age. And, you know, where they're still figuring out who they are. Right. And I think where there's a lot on their plate. And I also think, you know, where they're trying to have fun and enjoy themselves while they're obviously, you know, hyper competitive, hyper focused to the, you know, meet the demands of their sport. So I think, you know, really the biggest thing I always try to hone in on is just remember that they're kids and like, um, you know, whether it's, you know, a male or female athlete, I'll use male for the example here. But like, you know, I always told athletes, like, I'm going to qualify you in one of three categories, you know, using once again, the male athlete is the example, kid, young man or man. And like where, you know, kid, I usually define as like someone that, you know, struggles to 
understand messages being relayed isn't consistent with the things that they do or what they display, you know, in terms of to themselves, young man is someone that, you know, starting to figure stuff out, you know, their mistakes are less frequent, you know, in nature and like the mistake, same mistake, you know, as much less, you know, has a longer time frame in between it, they start to understand the message derived and see things in a bigger scope beyond themselves, you know, and then a man is someone that, you know, when they make a mistake, they don't make the same mistake twice. And there's long gaps between any mistake, you know, and they kind of see the world in a bigger scope than just themselves and, and how they apply stuff. So I think it's figuring out what type of category you're dealing with with each athlete, but then also remembering that they are young, they are youthful, right? And then, you know, obviously getting to know each athlete and their background to what makes them tick and what their goals are definitely can help you understand that, you know, like where they're at, but always remember that, you know, they're, they're young in nature and young at heart and young in mind. Yeah. And that's the whole art of coaching strategy is, is typing athletes and then figuring out a way to communicate to each of those subcategories of athletes. And I think that sharpens your level of coaching and your level of relationship building is being able to shift the way that you're communicating or relaying information to the different types of athletes so that everybody's on the same page. You're not just giving it a one shot and then the men on your team get it and the two other subtypes are are left hanging in the dust and there's certainly a lot of i guess just young young men to to boys that you would expect that wouldn't be at that level but even even this morning we had an athlete come in with food poisoning because his breakfast was a piece of salmon he left in the microwave for the entire night and you just have to say like that. I, I just didn't think I would have to have a learning experience saying you can't leave out salmon for eight to 10 hours and then eat it for breakfast. You know what I mean? So there's definitely a lot of different mentor mentor moments that that are going to come from those different athletes, you know? Very true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so even just speaking about where Davidson is going, it sounds like you have a decent amount of uh, GPS data or at least tracking data when it comes to sprinting? Is there any different equipment or different uh, methods of training that you want to hone in on and you can see Davidson going into a more advanced program? Or I shouldn't say advanced program because you guys are already there, but uh, where do you see the future of Davidson heading for pro? I think right now a lot of the velocity-based stuff we're doing is is rooted in the weight room. <clears throat> with velocity encoders, I think where, you know, what I've had experience with, you know, different GPS tracking at other institutions I've been at. And I think, you know, if the day comes that we can implement those things here, I mean, there's definitely benefit to it, right? You know, when you're taking some of the guest workout, as far as, you know, understanding effort, understanding the exact parameters that an athlete's body's going through, through activity, whether it be a session we're putting them through or a team practice. So I think over time, I think that's something that, you know, I would love for us to be able to move to and towards. But also, I think, you know, really the, the biggest, you know, kind of like the order of, you know, progressions that we would like to continue to build things here is continue to add to our staff first. And so I think where when I returned, you know, the biggest thing that I wanted to do was bring over time as we grew, you know, the opportunities that being a strength coach at an FBS institution could potentially have and bring and bring those to, you know, a mid-major Division One institution, how all of our sports are Division One, but football, we can compete at the FCS level. I think I wanted to bring some more FBS-style mindsets 
and opportunities to that. So I would say, you know, the first thing we need to do to probably continue to advance and enhance our programming is continue to hire more staff. So when I got back, we were at three full-time strength conditioning coaches that included my position. We were able to expand our staff and add a director of basketball strength and conditioning this summer, past summer. We have a part-time position now, you know, so really our staff is up to five people, you know, and we want to continue to have that grow and have those, that one part-time transition eventually into a full-time and continue to work to add more positions. And so I think, you know, our, our first route to kind of get more advanced is in people investment. And then from there, make it, you know, technological advancement when our coaches have the time to spend more time reviewing and implementing some of those technological pieces. How have Davidson's facilities changed since the last time you had been there in, in 2004 to now? Has it been a pretty large upgrade? Yeah, I think we're, we're in a big upgrade process currently. So we're like, uh, you know, the weight, when I was here the first time, I was fortunate to be able to open a weight room in our football stadium complex. And uh, that weight room still exists. That's what we're out of currently. Uh, the majority of the equipment in that room has shifted over to, you know, newer racks, additional pieces of equipment, you know, where, but this, this past spring, we were fortunate to open up a basketball strength and conditioning facility, you know, where we transitioned in our arena, we transitioned the space into a basketball weight room, which, you know, helps out with timing of other sports and also gives them the ability to do some things that they weren't able to do before as, you know, our basketball programs. And then we put a shovel in the ground next month in June to be able to start a, a brand new football stadium, lacrosse field. There'll be a complex that has a brand new weight room that will more than double the size of our current room, you know, and just give us more opportunities and a variety of things to do from an athlete training and development perspective and opportunity. And so, you know, so really, you know, we're, we're making big, big facility shifts when you look at it from a strength and conditioning perspective that, you know, have taken place this semester and uh, will continue to grow, you know, when that new facility opens in the summer of 24. Yeah, and your programs like basketball have have earned that that special attention with their success over the years. Uh, even your football team put up 88 points against my alma mater, Guilford. Pretty embarrassing. Um, how do you – and you have talked uh, in this podcast even about the m- winning mindset and shifting over to more psychological stuff. How do you increase or sustain that culture of winning in all these other sports that – maybe are getting into the, into the swing of things at Davidson. Yeah, I think we're one thing, one thing, you know, for us as strength and conditioning professionals, you know, where we, you know, at one point in time in my career, I thought like, you, you know, you really had a hand in everything. And in reality, you don't have a hand in everything. So I think the things that we do have our hand on, right. You have to sit there and focus to make those the best you can. So I think presenting to your athletes day in, day out, a consistent approach that you take and your staff takes and brings every day, you know, doing all the things that you can to make it a holistic training approach to where you're focused on mindset, mental focus, mobility, flexibility, nutrition, strength, power, muscle hypertrophy, work capacity, energy system development. You know, I mean, that list can be as long as any coach wants to make it, but focusing on those things to generate and build a well-rounded program that's implemented with consistency, you know, and the, the athletes see you as a consistent role model in their life and how they structure things to where that's really what I guess you could say we focus on 
to help aid in that winning mindset and championship mindset of all the athletes that we're fortunate to work with. So I think we're being in line with obviously the goals and focus of our sport coaches and each team, but really, you know, trying to be a consistent role model day in, day out that has a well thought out process for the puzzle, you know, presenting to those athletes day in, day out is really what we try to do, you know, to create that winning culture and help support it. Yeah, of course. And I think the more consistency you show your athletes, the more consistency they'll uh, reciprocate. reciprocate. Um, some athletes love to show up with different moods every single day. But if they see you holding that torch of consistency, I think they'll just go ahead and pass that on. Uh, over your long career, what have been some different learning experiences or some things that you've battle tested and ended up not being uh, I guess where you wanted them to be, but then have, you know, created the the culture or the different program style that you have today. Yeah, I think we're like uh, a lot of it just ties into like you know continued athlete interaction. I think from a from a programming standpoint, I would say the way I've grown over the years is where I started out probably as a very you know west side barbell based conjugate methodology program and i would say you know where and i was very specific so you could say maybe following like the true west side template initially and then having that expand out and plot out and you know just just really expand the way i guess i see the principles of that system and the principles of conjugate periodization so i think from a programming standpoint it's grown that way from a you know from a, a people and relationship standpoint I think where, you know, I've learned to like take a deep breath before maybe I would get frustrated at an athlete, you know, or, or jump on an athlete, you know, to sit there and elicit a certain response from them and just listen a little more, observe a little more, you know, so I think where at times earlier in my career, maybe I was too quick to come at an athlete instead of trying to understand what was having them be the way they were at that point in time. Right. And then and then communicate with them in the best way possible to hopefully get them to elevate from where they were at that moment. So I think those are areas where I guess I would say I've shown growth. You know, I think we're like, a, you know, mis I mean, where, you know, to me, like, you know, mistakes from a training standpoint, I think we're, you know, at, I think probably the you know, one that I can think of the first time I was at Davidson is I was very eager to implement certain things. And so I definitely took the approach of like, I'm going to get mine from a strength and conditioning perspective of like, this is the drill I want to carry out. This is a lift. I want it to go this way. This is an intensity. I want us to push at this day and at this day. And I think, you know, where I did a poor job my first time here for my first full-time job of sitting there and just really taking every account of stress that an athlete goes through into account into our programming. So I'd say over the years too, being very mindful and learning how to sit there and account for all means of stress and understanding that all stress comes back to the body. The body can't segment what we do in a run and in the weight room. It can't segment what they do on their field or court at practice. You know, it can't segment what they're feeling stress wise, you know, from a relationship, you know, with a peer or like, you know, stress from academics. So I think just being more in tune and more understanding and more program oriented around the, the complete stress on the athlete has been another area of growth where I've definitely made some mistakes with that when I was younger in the field. Yeah, being flexible, I think, is huge. And even when you're talking about looking at the principles of different programs versus just running those programs solely, 
I think it allows for more flexibility when your athletes are having bad days or when you guys are having different situations during the season. And if you look at the principles of all these different programs, then you can plug and play different areas around different parts of the diff, uh, different parts of the season. And then the more I, the more I'm around strength coaches, the more I realize that there are these different things that they, that you can do to make your day easier, whether it be a spreadsheet master set or different ways of structuring programs. What have been some ways that you can make your day easier on a daily basis? I mean, Really, I was, you know, I mean, where I would say for me, where I always tell my staff all the time, I'm a computer moron. And so where, you know, for a lot of them, you know, the way that I choose to kind of like program and record stuff, it works for me. I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, it's the most efficient way to, to carry that out for others. I would say probably the, the best way that I've made my day easier, and there's definitely nothing like technical about this, but is realizing that, okay, hey, like, your life matters just like the athlete life's matters. Right. So like where if you need to take a minute and go do something for yourself, go do it. So you're at a fresher and better point when you return back to the weight room, to the floor, you know, where if it's an opportunity for you to sit there and, you know, where you're not going to miss a group, but you can take your kids to school or do something like that. Like, so really honestly, where I would say where I've learned to manage my day better and make it, you know, more efficient, is making like my family a bigger part of the process, but also making the athletes aware of my, you know, my life outside of coaching as part of the process. So that way we can kind of all integrate together and we see the family aspect of what we do. And so I think where, you know, for me, a lot of the, you could say advancements or ways I made my day easier isn't necessarily from a technological change, but it's from a communication and mindset change. I mean, awesome. Yeah. I think, the more honest and thorough you are about who you are as a person, the better the athletes respond to it. You can't put on a fake facade of coach Evan when they don't understand that a father of two girls may be a little bit different at home. You can't just be a hard ass every single day of the week. I'm sure you, I'm sure you put on the, the mama dad hat. Um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, Evan, I think this has been phenomenal. I think you've definitely, uh, given a lot to think about when it, in terms of psycho psychology and how to communicate and understand your athletes more. Uh, thank you for your time. Is there anything else that you want to plug in for, for Davidson or just in general for different coaches listening? I mean, nothing necessarily else for, for Davidson. I mean, if you're in the area, anyone's welcome to come visit us, just reach out. My email is on our website. You know, we welcome all visitors all the time where, um, uh, you know, just from a coaching standpoint, you know, we're obviously, you know, for your podcast and the, the mix of, you know, coaches that you bring on, the mix of listeners that you have. I think where, you know, one thing that's a great reminder, right, is that, you know, our field is always a, you know, it's a relationship business, it's a people business, and it's a care business, you know. So I think where as we continue to grow technologically and what we do and how we implement, you know, to make sure we're that much more precise, always remember that it's those relationships you have with people how you manage your relationships outside of the weight room in your life and bring them into your life in the weight room and just the consistency you bring with who you are, you know, and let those relationships build is what's going to allow you to be the best coach possible. And then let all those other skill set tools that are out there, you know, have the best possible impact they can have 
based on that relationship aspect of our profession first. Yeah, awesome. Couldn't have said it any better. Well, if you need to get a hold of Evan, again, like you said, go on the Davidson website. His email's on there. He responded pretty quickly to me, so I assume he's on his stuff pretty quick. Um, thank you, Evan. Have a good day. Oh, yeah, you too. Thanks so much.